The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a great, really a great pleasure for me to be here with you today to share a little bit uh, about our Father's missions. My name is Father Lawrence Tucker from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And uh, originally I'm from Manhattan, New York City, but after college I actually lived in Boston for three years. And so coming back uh, for this mission appeal was really a, a great pleasure. Yesterday I was walking down Commonwealth and it just brought back so many memories of when I, when I did live here for three years. Not right here at St. Clement's, but in Boston and various parts of the city. And uh, it's really such a, a wonderful experience. But what I wanted to share with you was what it's like to be a missionary. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of us have heard of missions. The church has various missions, uh, generally in the, uh, in the poorer places of the world. <clears throat> Uh, but what is it actually like to be a missionary in one of these missions or in a missionary community? You know, that's something that I can share with you that maybe you wouldn't have access to that type of uh, experience. What is it like, say, from the inside out? What is the spiritual experience of being a missionary? I never really knew what it was myself. I was actually quite surprised when the Lord called me to be a missionary. I had a sense I was being called to the priesthood. But it wasn't until I was actually in the seminary and I started to meet other members of the community I'm now in that I started to sense this fire to, to go out and to reach out as far as you know, it could possibly be done in this world in mission. <clears throat> and so I was learning really from scratch in a sense. And uh, I wanted to share with you how the Lord kind of forms us as missionaries, and I believe he's forming all of us in this way, but I can only speak from my own experience. As a missionary, you have to learn, this is, this is really the essential formation of a missionary, you have to learn how to live in the spirit. It's, that's, this is a primary reality of, of mission. It's the spirit who's doing the mission. See, and that's something the missionary has to learn. Because without, no, without realizing that and giving yourself over to that where you actually live in the spirit who's doing the mission, you would never accomplish anything in the missions. 
because there's no way a missionary can do it on his own. If he tries to do it on his own, the mission goes in reverse. And so that's the whole essence of missionary formation is actually living in the Spirit. Not just encountering the Spirit periodically, but living in the Spirit and being moved by the Spirit always and in all things. Now this starts uh, in the missionary life. It starts uh, very uh, you know, very quickly. As soon as you're a seminarian, it starts. Uh, I remember one of my first things that I did as a seminarian, it was uh, around Christmas time, and I had come back to our headquarters, which is in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I had come from the seminary back for, for Christmas. And our superior, who just died, he's the founder, actually, he just died two years ago, Father James Flanagan, was actually from the Archdiocese of Boston. Um, he was talking with us. There was three seminarians back for, for the winter break. And he said, you know, you guys should go down to the orphanage in central Mexico. We have a, a big orphanage with 250 children. He said, you should go down there for Christmas. Visit, visit with the, the team down there, visit with the, uh, the orphans and such. So after he suggested that, I spoke with the other seminarians and said, boy, I really would like to do that. Why don't we do that? Well, we have other plans, they said. So I said, oh, gosh, now I'm not sure I want to do this myself because what it involved was taking a bus from Laredo, Texas, all the way down practically to Mexico City, just a little north of Mexico City. Normally, that's like an overnight on the bus. Normally, you don't do that by yourself. You you know, you have a companion. But I sensed the Lord was saying, just go ahead, I'll be your companion. I'll be with you, just go. So I, I, you know, I scraped up some money. I think the bus, a round-trip ticket on the bus in those days was around 50 U.S. dollars. So I got a hold of $50, and I got a, a little bag of, of rosaries, like all these beautiful colored, you've seen those plastic, colorful rosaries. I had a whole bag of those. So off I went with a little backpack and my, my little satchel of rosaries, went down, got a ride down to the border, crossed the International Bridge into Nuevo Laredo, went to the bus station, and the bus station was packed. I had forgotten. See, in Mexico, people don't really take planes. They take buses. Everybody's going on a bus, especially at Christmas. And so there were no buses going to Querétaro, which is where I was going. So here I am standing there making this whole excursion down to the border, my rosaries in hand, my $50 for the bus. So what am I going to do? I can't... The bus, there's no buses till tomorrow. I got to get moving. You know, Christmas was in a couple of days. So I said, well, maybe I can take a plane. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's some kind of a sale or something. So I hailed a cab and I went to the airport. And um, when I went into the airport, I could see that all the prices were way beyond. The only thing I could afford was a one-way flight to Monterrey, which is a big city in northern Mexico, but it's really quite far from where I was going. But that was the only ticket I could afford, and it was, as I said, just one way to Monterrey. And then what do I do? So I said, wow, I, what would I ever do that for? But I felt the Spirit was saying, just do it. You'll be part of the way there. So I said, well, what good is that? Then what do I do once I get to Monterrey? And the Spirit was sort of saying, well, you don't worry about that. I'll worry about that. Just get to Monterrey. I said, 
okay, here goes. So I bought the ticket, got on the plane. I was kind of laughing at myself. I said, this is really crazy. Who would do something like this? I'm going to end up in this big city in northern Mexico without a penny in my pocket, barely knowing Spanish, kindergarten-level Spanish, get off the plane, walk around. Now what do I do? Well, I did that. And I got into the airport and was walking around. I was like, my gosh, what, what am I supposed to do at this point? I said, Spirit, you actually took me here. Now what? So I'm standing there against this big pillar, and I'm just looking out at all these people. This is a huge airport, and there's people going everywhere. And I noticed there was two men speaking English. And I said, I'm going to go talk with those men. I'm going to ask them. Uh, I had noticed there was a flight to San Luis Potosí, which is a city not too far from Querétaro. And it was a commuter plane, a 29-seater plane. I said, gosh, if, I think if I could ever get on that plane, you know, maybe I could hitchhike or something from there. I don't know. Let me see. So I went over to these two men, and I explained to them who I was. And, and I said, uh, do you know anything about that flight? Have you ever taken that flight? And they said, no, but it's a, it's a good airline. It's a reputable airline. I said, I'd love to take that flight to get to this orphanage, but I have no money. I said, you know, if you guys could help me, I said, see these rosaries? I'm bringing these to the orphans. I'll ask them to pray for you on their new rosaries. You have to say something. I mean, I, what was, <laughs> that's, that's what came to my mind. So they said, uh, oh, that sounds good. That's that's fair enough. Okay, here, here, here's the money. I don't remember what it was, $75 or something. So I thanked them, you know, and I went over to the gate, and I said, now, gosh, you know, it's getting close. Uh, when I land in San Luis, it's going to be 5 o'clock. It's going to start getting dark. Uh, you know, I don't want to be in a strange city with nightfall coming on. You know, what, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll find a parish that will give me refuge. And then I thought about something that happened to me in the past right here in the States. I my car broke down, and I contacted the local pastor and said who I was. Could I go over there? He said, I don't believe you. He said, if you call me again, I'm calling the police. He said, don't show up at my rectory. I'll call the police on you. You're, you're like a scammer or something. So I said, I don't think I want to go through all this in Mexico, you know, calling a parish. Hi, you know, this is who I am. So I said, what am I going to do when I get to San Luis? So I'm looking at the people at the gate, and there was two young American guys about my age at that time. This is going back a ways. So I went over to them, and I said, hi, you know, are you going to San Luis? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm going there as well. So we started talking. And um, so uh, one of the guys said, you know, uh, Larry, where, where are you going? I said, I'm going to a little town outside of Queretaro. It's called Colón. He goes, you're going to Colón? He goes, we're going to San Miguel de Allende. He said, Cologne is just over the mountain from San Miguel. He says, you come with us to San Miguel. We're going to uh, my family's vacation home in San Miguel. And uh, my girlfriend's going to pick me up, and we're, it's about uh, an hour and a half or two hours from here, and you can go with us, and you can stay with us. And tomorrow we'll put you in a cab and send you to uh, Cologne. I said, sounds good to me. That's, that's incredible. Let's do this, you know. So anyway, as we're walking out to the tarmac, there's two young guys. And the one guy who was doing the talking, uh, when I asked them what their, what their work was, he kind of was fudging around like, 
you know, trying to come up with what should we tell this missionary. And he said, oh, uh, we're, we're in uh, telecommunications. I said, okay. So as we're walking out, I said to the one guy, because the other guy was walking way in front of me, I said, who is he? I said, I, I sense there's something going on here. He says, Larry, you don't know who that is? I said, how would I know who that is? He says, did you ever hear of the King Ranch? I said, the King Ranch? I've seen com- the, king, the, the commercials on TV, the King Ranch. He said, yeah. He goes, he's the heir of the King Ranch. Captain King founded the King Ranch, maybe the biggest ranch in the United States. And I said, so who is he? He says, that's Richard King, the son, the heir of the King Ranch. I said, you guys aren't in telecommunications. You're in oil. You're in ranching. You have ranches in Argentina. And he goes, that's who he is. That's where we're going. I said, Lord, you're overdoing it here. This is incredible. So I, I went on the plane with them. I was sitting right next to Richard King, and we were talking a lot about the faith and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> he wanted to know what the American bishops <clears throat> were doing for the environment. I told him just six months ago they released a beautiful document on protecting the environment. So anyway, he calls up his mother at their vacation home about a half an hour before we reach San Miguel, and he says, we have a guest with us. She says, there's no room. Your cousin showed up unexpectedly. There's absolutely no room. So she said, but put him in the best hotel in San Miguel, the aristocrat, and um, take him out to the best restaurant for dinner, and uh, we'll send someone over in the morning to get him to come to breakfast, to the restaurant we're going to for breakfast, and then we'll send him to Cologne in the cab. I said, this is all working great for me. I said, (laughs) aristocrat sounds okay. The restaurant's good. So anyway, you know, this is, and it all worked like that. And and in the morning, a messenger came over, led me to this beautiful outdoor breakfast cafe where we had breakfast. And then uh, Richard gave me a tour of San Miguel, this beautiful tour of, of uh, telling me his, his, his family's history in San Miguel. And one of his relatives was arrested and put in the jail, and the rest of the family came and, and pulled the whole wall out of the jail to get him out of there and everything. And so it was, like, it was just like cowboys and Indians kind of a thing. And we were just, he was so nice, and the whole family was so wonderful. And then the cab took me to the orphanage, and they said, Oh, oh, Father, uh, I wasn't a priest at the time. Brother Larry, did you have a good trip here? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> but the thing is, this is living in the Spirit. How can you beat living in the Spirit? You can't go wrong. The Spirit will not let you down. The Spirit will overdo it. I can tell you from my, that's just one experience I've had. I could go on and on. The missionary's life is like that. That's how it is. That's why very rarely do you see missionaries like give up after five years. Oh, I don't like this life. Uh, This is uh, not a good life. It's an amazing life. But what you really see as you live in the Spirit, you see how much love your father has for these missions of his. These are not our missions. Sometimes missionaries get possessive. Oh, this is my mission. It's, you learn real quick, this is not your mission. You're basically in the way. This is your father's mission. These missions come right out of his heart. 
See, so that's really what living in the Spirit reveals to you, is that these are our Father's missions. And we go, but I can tell you from my own experience, we cannot go unless you help us. It, you just can't do it. The last mission I had in northern Mexico, was, it was quite a big mission. My furthest village was six hours away on dirt roads. Now, just to reach that village, I needed like two tanks of gas. I used to have to carry five-gallon cans of gas with me just to get back. And um, the, the parish, the little parish we had in this little city in northern Mexico, the collection on Sunday... After three masses, the collection was 30 U.S. dollars. That doesn't even fill up the gas tank. So the church's missions cannot function, cannot exist in any way without the help of the faithful in the better-off countries, such as the United States in particular. So the second collection is for the missions of Our Lady Society. That's my community. And uh, we want to thank you in advance for your help. We know that... uh, that there's so many things that you can do, you know, for so many different uh, goals and such, but we really uh, need your help. We're a very poor community, and we live uh, on our mission appeals. You know, our missions live on our mission appeals, so we thank you. I thank you very much in advance, and God bless you.